0: If you have a Bible, Mark chapter 2 is where we'll pick up today, working our way verse by verse and chapter by chapter through the Gospel of Mark. If you don't have a Bible, that's okay. We have plenty to give to you. Just raise your hand nice and high, and the folks in the back will bring a Bible to you. Those that are uh, currently turning again, Mark chapter 2 is where we will be. Let's pray, and then we'll get into Mark chapter 2. Father, as we, we come... Again, uh, we long to be here, Lord. We know we need to be here, not to check it off our list, but we know that uh, your word uh, sustains us, that worship, Lord, changes us. And so, uh, Lord, we're here when we could be anywhere else this morning. We've chosen to to come out from among the people in the world, to gather together separately, uh, to gather together to you as your children, Lord that the relationship we have with you is not like slaves, Lord, but like children, where you call us sons and daughters and you care for us and you meet needs and you teach us and you disciple us and you discipline us like a good father. Lord, you are so good. So as we open your word, Lord, you're just teaching us more as we're discovering you in the the gospel of Mark. You're teaching us more about yourself, uh, who you are, Your awesomeness, your greatness, your power, your authority, and all of these things. So Lord, open our minds to receive the truths of your word. In Jesus' name, all God's expectant people said, amen, amen. We're marching through this fast-paced gospel, the gospel of Mark, and just taking out uh, the stories or the accounts, as I say, that, that Peter highlighted to Mark, and then Mark recorded, and we're seeing, you know, it's, it's very interesting. Here's God in human flesh, and we're seeing the people that are drawn to him because they find hope in him that they've never had before. We, we see the, the leper that comes to him. You know, no cure for leprosy. And, and we see now today's the paralytic that comes to him. And, and let me read the story, and then we'll, uh, we'll go back and we'll talk our way through it. It's uh, Mark chapter 2. The first twelve verses. And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately, many gathered together, so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even near the door. And he preached the word to them. And they came to him, bringing a paralytic, who was carried by four men. And when they could not come near because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So when they had broken through, they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, Why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say uh, to, to the paralytic, Your sons are forgiven you, or your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this and truly they hadn't. Uh, Jesus has become very popular. Word is spreading about him, about his, his teaching with authority, uh, his casting out demons, and I love this. The leper is, is partly responsible for this. He told the guy who had leprosy not to tell anybody, and the guy goes out and he tells everybody. So Jesus had been you know, going around the, the various villages in the, in, around the Sea of Galilee. And now he comes back, the first verse tells us, again he entered Capernaum after some days. So he'd been in other, other villages. Capernaum is where he had um, cast the demon out of, of the, uh, the man in the synagogue there. So now he comes back there, and man, word spreads that he's there. Uh, Capernaum is sort of his, uh, he, although he was born in Bethlehem, his family's from Nazareth he ends up making sort of the center of his ministry is Capernaum, the home of uh, Peter and his family. And so that's where he is, Capernaum, and it was heard that he was in the house. Well, I, I can only guess, and I think most people would agree, the house is probably the same house where he healed Peter's mother-in-law. It's Peter's house. So likely, Peter, uh, excuse me, uh, Jesus is a guest whenever he's in Capernaum, because he travels a lot, whenever he's in Capernaum, He has a place to stay with Peter and his family. So that's probably the house uh, that he's in. Uh, And and so as soon as word spreads, immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them, not even at the door. I mean, this is my kind of church service, right? I mean, this thing is packed to the gills. I remember when we had the little office down there, Common Ground, that we'd have our Wednesday night Bible studies, and it'd it'd be so packed and hot. We had the windows open and oh, this is exciting. People are gathering together to Jesus. How, how can that not be exciting? I remember hearing story, stories of, uh, maybe you've heard of Peter Marshall. Peter Marshall was a chaplain for the U.S. Senate and pastored a church in Washington, D.C. Such a gifted speaker that uh, people would gather together. When, when the church would fill up, they put speakers outside so that people could stand outside in the rain under umbrellas just to hear him preaching and teaching the word of God and that's what Jesus is doing he's got this great crowd I mean they're in there like sardines it's hot there's no air conditioning you know they're packed in as tight as can be even so much they're packed out to the door and people are going can you I can't even see him from where I am can you say I can't see him but I can hear his teaching and that's what he's doing he doesn't take that opportunity to you know well people are here for miracles so let's start the show you know What what Jesus came to do was to teach the miracles, the signs. They were secondary to prove his authority. But he was concerned not with, you know, well, if I say, if I preach the word, they'll get bored with that. We can't just preach the word. We've got to do exciting stuff to keep them here. The word of God is very exciting. And Jesus didn't, he wasn't there. He was there. He's going to, when you've got a crowd, you've got an opportunity. The thing to do is not wow them with your intelligence or your opinions, or your political views. It's to preach to them the word. And it's interesting, the word for preached is not the usual word. Caruso is the usual, usual word meaning to sort of make a, a public declaration, like an official announcement. But this is the word laleo, which means to sort of... It speaks of birds chattering back and forth together, or children talking to one another. It's a very conversational approach. It, that's, what, that's what this word means. So Jesus is there in the house... All the people packed in there to the gills, and Jesus is just speaking freely with them about the Word of God. And I just love that to just imagine being there, hearing that Bible study. So he preaches the Word to them. By the way, that's why we do what we do preaching the Word, not from the Word. There's a difference. But preaching, this is what it says, this is what it means, this is what it means for you. Preaching the Word. And I, and I like that because, you know, it's getting less and less and less popular, isn't it? I, I talk to people all the time. It's getting harder and harder to find a church that will just take people through simply through the word of God. And I don't and, and, and I kind of like that. I kinda, you know, I'm OK with that because I think one of two things are going to happen. We're going to keep doing what we do because one of two things is going to happen. Eventually, the pendulum will swing back. There'll be a revival. And God's word will be at the forefront of that. So eventually the pendulum will swing back and we'll have a, a head start on that revival. You know, maybe God would use us to start that, to be part of that. So either the pendulum is going to swing back or the Lord is going to come back. And I'm okay with either one. But either way, we're going to keep doing Jesus sets the model. He preached to them the word. We don't know what the sermon content was. don't know what he was talking about specifically, but no doubt about the kingdom, his father, and, and those things. Verse 3, then they came to him, bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men. They, I can imagine as, the, the, as they're approaching, these four guys are bringing a paralytic on a bed or a mat, they've got it by the corners, um, they're bringing him to the house, they've heard, uh, we'll talk about these friends in a minute, but I think that as they're approaching, they're, they're late for the meeting, by the way, so the parking lot's already full and the church is already packed, so they're late, but they're coming nonetheless. There's a lesson there somewhere, but we'll, we'll go past that. So they're coming, and I think a whole group of people, because it says they came to him, they, I think this group that had gathered while they were on the way, bringing a paralytic carried by four men. So they is not just the four men, they is a group kind of ushering them in seeing they're bringing this guy so let's first talk about the paralytic again just like the leper defined by his illness not we don't know his name matter of fact you don't even hear his voice in the story never hear him say a word we don't know his age uh, he's got a house jesus says to him get up take your bed go to your house so evidently he's got family is he living with his parents uh, is he living with his wife and family? How did he become, come to be in this condition? How did he be, become paralyzed? Evidently, he's, he's, uh, you know, he needs, no matter where he's going to go, he needs assistance. There's no JDA, you know, Jews Disability Act. It doesn't exist. He's got no wheelchair. He's got no independence. He's completely dependent on people. We had a friend, uh, he passed away a few years ago. He had gotten in a motorcycle accident. He had, um, was riding his motorcycle only at a low speed, 30-some miles an hour, and uh, t- maybe 20, something like that. And uh, a woman was driving a car, reached back to correct her daughter in the back seat, swerved over in his lane. He hit the car and became a, um, a quadriplegic. And so for he uh, was 50-some when he died, but for 30-some years lived in that condition. He had a bed in his family's house. And his brother and sister-in-law took care of him. He got out of bed one day a week. You know what day that was? He got out of bed on Sunday. One day a week. Every, six days a week, 24 hours a day in bed. Because he couldn't get himself out of bed. So he was relying on his family to get him ready, get him dressed, get him out of bed, put him in his power chair. And this is a guy that used to be into race cars. So he was telling me one day he had this power chair, you know, his battery powered and, and he had gotten a new one that went a little faster than his old one. So he said, I knew, because he'd get out of church on Sunday for one reason, I was to go to church. And he, he had this spot in the curb where he said, if I can hit it just right, I can catch air. <laughs> Preach the sermon at his church on how I have my joy. But dependent, you know, and I think so often the church adopts the attitude of, well, we're here doing our thing, and the unsaved or the paralyzed are welcome to come in. We'll just wait here for him. We'll keep doing our thing, but they got to find us. This guy's not coming to Jesus on his own. He's not coming to Jesus under his own power. So a lot of challenges in his life. Again, we don't even know if he was a willing participant. Not only can he not get himself there, he also can't complain if they take him. Shut up, we're taking you. You know, you got nothing to say. So they just grab him and off they go. We don't know. Was he excited to go? Was he nervous about going? We do know this about them, that in that day and age, there would have been the commonly held belief that as someone who's paralyzed, that it's, it's a result of your sinfulness, that this is why you're in this condition. They believe that righteousness was rewarded and unrighteousness was punished by God. And so somehow you've done something that caused this. And we have, there's still shadows of that today, isn't there? Something bad happens to you, you go, why is God doing this to me? you still feel that somehow God is punishing you with this sickness or with this issue. And that's, that's not true. Not always. Sometimes it can be your stupid things that get you in trouble. And we don't know. Maybe this guy did something that caused him. We, don't, we just don't, we don't know. But we do know that he had one great thing going for him. He had really good friends. So what do we know about the friends? We know there's four of them. We know somehow they had to organize this party uh, that they found out what Jesus was in the area, uh, you know, they probably never had hope. I mean, there's no cure for paralysis. Even today, there's no cure. Still looking for cure for a, a severed spinal cord. No cure. No hope. This guy's a beggar. I mean, there's no, he can't work. He can't be, participate in those ways. Completely dependent. His friends hear about Jesus. And if there's any hope for our friend, we got to get him There. I don't know what it's going to take. So they, they meet together. They, they get them. They start going. How far they travel? We don't know. We do know they had to give up something to do it. Had to give up some time. What motivated them to do it? Was there anything in it for them? Anything. Were they, did they have anything to gain by taking their friend there? Not personally. They, they must have loved this guy. So he may have been paralyzed, but he was loved. At least loved enough that they would take a day off work to gather him up. They probably had to call in sick or something because they didn't know. Also, they heard Jesus is here. Oh, we got to do it. we got to get there now. So off they go. Man, good friends, good friends who, who have faith in Jesus are really, really important in your life. I don't know about your friendship circles because sometimes people get saved and they still got the old friends. But these are the kind of friends I want. And this is the kind of friend I want to be in my life. This is the kind of friend I want to have someone uh, that, that I don't, man, you, I need to not give up on, i taking you to Jesus, I need, I need to get you to Jesus, I love you that much, and some of you are in here, and you're just tired of your spouse, you're just tired of your mom hounding you about Jesus, and you can be real upset about that, but I'm trying, I want to communicate that there's, a, the reason that they do that, the reason that we do that, is because we love you, and we know what Jesus can do for you, and you may not know you need it, but we know you need, we know you need Jesus, so, off they go, but they hit a barrier. Then they came to him, bringing the paralytic who was carried by four men. Verse 4, and when they could not come near him because of the crowd, they uncovered the roof where he was. So they, they make their approach to the house, and people are standing outside. They're outside the windows. They're outside the door. And no doubt they're, excuse me, pardon us. Come on, we got to get this guy through. we got to get our friend through there. And, hey, get away, you know. I'm sure that, you know, come on, we're trying to listen. He's teaching here. Come on, shh. We're trying to listen. You ever been involved in a place where there's a crowd like that? It's just near impossible to push your way through. They couldn't do it. Now, at that point, many of us would have given up. Well, look, man, I mean, there he is on the mat. You've you've laid him down. Your arms are sore. Shoulders are aching from carrying him. And you lay him down there, and he's looking at you, and you just go, man, we did our best. We tried. It's not going to happen today. Let's go home. They could have done that, couldn't they have? There's a lot in the Bible about diligence. And my fear, for especially Americans, is that we're so easily deterred in in everything, let alone spiritual things. And what we need is people that are determined spiritually, and and not deterred. Let me give you some verses first. Because Luke 11 talks about a man who has a visitor and he doesn't have any bread. So he goes to his neighbor's house and bangs on the door. It's late. The guy's already in bed. His kids are tucked in. And he bangs on the door and says, hey, I need some bread. My, I've got company and, and I don't have anything to feed him. And the guy says, go away. I, We're in bed. I'm in my pajamas. You know, get out of here. And the guy keeps knocking and keeps knocking and keeps knocking. And finally, the friend says, all right, already. I'll come and I'll give you bread. Just leave me alone. Go away already. Here, here's your bread. And then Jesus tells a story about a woman who's a widow. And she wants justice. And the judge isn't, doesn't want to hear her case, but she keeps being persistent. She keeps coming to him. And she says, look, I don't fear God or man, but because this woman won't leave me alone, I'm going to make sure she gets justice. She gets a hearing. She gets what she needs. Genesis chapter 32, Jacob wrestles with God all night. He wrestles and, he, and he's prevailing. He's holding on and finally in the morning... The, the, the man he's wrestling with touches him on the hip. Because he's, this guy won't let go. Jacob won't let go. And he says, I won't let go till you bless me. You want to talk about the key to victory in your life, the key to, to uh, walking in faith, is you don't let go until you're blessed. Persistence, diligence, a couple others. Well, he, You know Hebrews, those that come to God must believe that he is, and that he's a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. Proverbs 8, 17, I love those who love me, and those who seek me diligently will find me. Psalm 119, speaking of looking for comfort, my eyes fail for searching your word, saying, when will you comfort me? I'm not going to stop reading your word until I get the comfort I'm looking for. I know it's there, but I'm not giving up. I have, we have three dogs, two of which are particularly difficult for me, because we let them outside, they're wimpy. I mean, dogs, like you're an animal, outside should be Okay. But they're outside, and then one of them has learned how to come to the window and ee, 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 scratch at the window. And so I'll be, you know, it's, it's, I'll, be sit, I'll sit down on the couch and I'll get my Bible open or read a book or be doing something on the computer. And just when you sit down and get comfortable, and I hear my dog Buster, I'm going to ignore it. He's going to go away, I'm sure. And he just keeps going. And you go, going, finally, okay, already. I'll come and let you in. And then five minutes later, he wants to go back out, right? Even in even with my dog, me my dog understands persistence brings results. Now, why is this why is this challenging? What, what is the challenge for us in this room? In America, there's a problem with diligence. There, there was a study that was done amongst American kids comparing them to Eastern culture. There's a difference between Eastern thinking and Western thinking. Eastern thinking, Japanese or the or the Orient that, that area. They're much more persistent in problem solving than we are in the East. I mean, excuse me, in the West. So they value struggle. We tell kids, you're successful because you're smart. They tell their kids, you're successful because you've worked hard. You've not given up. Now, this one uh, educator was in a, in a classroom in Japan, and he saw this, uh, they were, the, the teacher was teaching the kids how to draw a cube. And this one kid just was not getting it. You know, he was not getting it. So the teacher says, you that's not getting it, why don't you come to the board and put your cube on the, on, the, on the board here? And the teacher's like, oh, in America, that would never happen. In America, it's the kids that are doing it right. Come and show you how good you're doing it. And everybody applauds. They bring the kid who can't get it up to the board. And he's hashing it out. He's had try, he just can't get this thing. And so this, the teacher keeps asking the kids, how's he doing? Is he getting it? And the kids be like, no, he's not getting it. And the, the teacher from America is sweating it out because he's feeling for this kid. This kid's going to have a breakdown in front of everybody because he's frustrated. But the kid keeps going. And finally, by the end of class, he draws a perfect cube. And the teacher looks at the kids and says, well, did he get it? And they all said, he got it. And they gave him a round of applause. They were all excited for him. Well, they did a study based on on this this effect that they're looking at. They did a study on kids. It says they did a study with first grade students. We decided to go out and give the students an impossible math problem to work on. And then we would measure how long they worked on it before they gave up the american students worked on it less than thirty seconds on average and then they basically looked at us and said we haven't had this the japanese students worked on it for the entire hour and finally we had to stop the session because the hour was up and they were still going still trying to chug this thing out and then we had to debrief them and say oh that was not a possible problem that was an impossible problem and they looked at us like what kind of animals are we (laughs) They stopped. They abandoned the project because they felt so bad for these Japanese kids just working, working, working on the problem. And he says, think about that behavior over a lifetime. Now, I think about that behavior spiritually. I think about how fast American people give up because it's too hard. You know, we'd love to go to church today, but man, I'm tired. It's my only day to sleep in. You know, we've been busy all week and you know, it's so far. You know, it's at least a 10-minute drive. And then they put speed bumps on there. And we got to deal with speed. And it's dusty. And uh, I don't think we can go. I mean, when we first started, when we were having one service and the service was packed out, people would drive around the parking lot and they'd just drive out. No spaces. Nah, no spaces. We're going. To we'll go back home. I mean, yeah, it's not that big a deal, right? You, you know the stories about what people endure around the world to go to church. You know, for for years, when our daughter Madeline was young, uh, she was real clingy, and we tried to get her to go into Sunday school, and she just would, she just would not go. And so it'd be easy, you know, ah, she, you know, it's a hassle every Sunday. Why bother? But we had to be diligent. So one Sunday, I would come to church, and and Helga would go in with Madeline to her classroom and help to to ke- keep getting her acclimated. And then the next Sunday, Helga'd come to church, and I'd go in. So this is this is. This is the story of these friends. Not only are they good friends, they're persistent. They're not willing. If we Go back to, with me to Mark chapter 2. They see that there's, they can't get in, so they uncovered the roof where he was. So they go up their stairs. This is a flat roof. This is not like, you know, a, a high-pitched roof. There, there's tiling on the roof. There's ceramic tiles probably uh, of some sort or some type of stone or sand. And they go up these back steps maybe. We don't know for sure. But they carry this guy up there. I mean, and, and the guy's going, hey, hey where, where, where are we going? Where, what are you guys doing? Yo, what are you doing? Where are you taking me? Because he's vulnerable. You know. He, he, he knows. that he, He's got nothing to say. So they carry him up there. And they start tearing. It's not their house. They start tearing the roof apart to get to Jesus. They're like, we are not going to be stopped. And they, they tear the tiles off the roof. And, and there's Jesus inside. And everybody, the dust starts falling down. And everybody starts looking up. And, and I'm, I'm sure every eye, you know, no, no longer are people paying attention to the study. Every eye is on this roof. And the, the hole opens up, light begins to beam in. And all of a sudden, they, now, did they let him down straight down? It says that they sort of kept him on the mat. So I'm guessing they had to dig a big enough hole in the roof to let him down. You know, what if he was six foot four? That's a lot of work, you know? They let this guy, they got ropes hooked up, they got rigging, they're working together. Get him down there. And as everybody's looking up, every eye is now on the sky. Now imagine yourself being the paralytic. You want to talk about being nervous. If they drop you, you can't catch yourself. And as they lower him down, Jesus is there watching all this unfold right before their very eyes. I, I love it. So they had, when they had. you want to talk about a breakthrough in your life? talk about that in a minute look at look at what happens next so when they had broken through they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying verse five when jesus saw their faith when jesus saw their faith who is the there probably the four friends now we don't know about the guy could have been his faith too he could have been all in rah rah let's go let's do this i'm in i got to get to him but we don't hear his voice but this is the interesting thing. Jesus sees their faith. Faith is invisible. Love is invisible. Unless they are revealed by works. This is what James said, right? You show me your faith without your works. You can't. And I'll show you my faith by my works. The same faith that saves you is the same faith that, that motivates you to works. That motivates you to diligence. Oftentimes a lack of diligence, listen, a lack of diligence represents really a lack of faith. Because the things you want, you get them. The things that are important to you, you go after them. And I'm I'm worried about the American church because I don't think our problem is lack of diligence. I think it's lack of faith. And I think when, when, when Jesus saw what they were willing to do, the lengths they were willing to go to, to get there. I don't my car broke down. Where's the bicycles, honey? Let's get the bike seats on. Let's get there. I don't know what it takes to get what it takes to get your friend to Jesus. Don't be deterred because this is the issue. Their, their works, the fact that they were willing to, to not give up, to go through the roof if need be to get to Jesus was a demonstration of their faith. In your life are there things that demonstrate your faith? Again, we know we're saved by grace. But that doesn't mean works have no place in our life. Abraham was justified by by his works, uh, is what James says. Not his works apart from faith, but the works that came from his faith. All of Hebrews chapter 11 is all about works that are rooted in faith. By faith, Noah built By faith, Abraham left his country. I mean, on and on you could go. So the same faith that saved you, if if you have a saving faith, you will also have a working faith. James said, faith without works is dead. It's useless. And and it's it's dead. So Jesus seized their faith, and he said to the paralytic, how dare you rip apart the roof? Do you know how much? No, he doesn't say that. He could have, though. We could, I mean, what would we say if some, somebody did some radical thing to get here? On, you know, drive their motorcycle up and park it right in front because they're late for church. Tr- I mean, think about the reaction. We're so practically and economically minded. We'd say, you know, now, there'd be a scolding here. You know, How dare you guys? This is Peter's roof. You know, that's, a, that's a, disrespectful. We're going to have to fix that thing. I mean, come on. That's not what he says, is it? He says, starts out, the first word he says to the paralytic is son. Which is a word that's spoken to children, but it's an endearing word even to adults. Son. He doesn't say what we expect him to say, does he? What do we expect Jesus to say? Be healed. That's what we brought him for. And the guys, he says, son, your sins are forgiven you. And the guys upstairs are like, what? That's not why we brought him here. We didn't bring him here for forgiveness. If we brought him here, so we could walk again. Do that thing, Jesus. Do the walk again thing. And he says, son, your sins are forgiven. Now, all I can imagine is that, is that Jesus knew this guy's heart. Knew that he, he already had bought into the fact that he was in his condition because of his sins. He was worried. Maybe he was worried his sinfulness would even cause it, the, him not to be able to heal him. Maybe there's something I've done that's going to you know, be a blockade here. Maybe just in the presence of Jesus, he's undone. He sees Jesus, just looks at him, looks in his eyes, and Jesus looks in his eyes. They lock eyes together, and the guy is like, I am worthless, I don't deserve to be here. And Jesus, and knows his heart. He's worried about his sins. How few people I meet that are worried about their sins. All they want is the physical. All they want is the temporary. All they want is the here and the now. So few people care about their condition before God. But this guy did. He got something way greater. Because you know, in eternity, he's going to have an, e- an eternal body. And that body will walk. And that body will be whole. So he says, son, your sins are forgiven. I wonder if the guy went, man. By the way, forgiven, is, it's not just, hey, we're going to overlook it. Forgiven means to let go, to send away, uh, like a like. In, in the days of Jesus when you, would, when you would divorce your wife, you'd give her a certificate of divorcement, and you'd send her away to let loose, to let go. So, your sins, listen, this is the same word to you. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Because a lot of us were paralyzed. Paralyzed by sinfulness. And, and the word to him is the word to us. Your sins are are, are let go, set free, put away from you. Every one of them. This is the greatest need. This is peace with God. Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there. So they were in the house. These guys had come from Judea, from Jerusalem. And they're sitting there. And they're listening to what's happening here. And, and they're reasoning in their heart, saying, they're just talking to each other or talking. They're not even saying it, but they're thinking it. Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? I mean, sins are offenses toward God. So, like if someone offends me, my wife can't say, Well, he'll forgive he forgives you. You can't say that's me. That's my job to forgive. It's you, it's you offended me. She can't forgive you for me. I gotta do it. No one can forgive you for something you a way you've disobeyed God. Only God. This is what David I've sinned, I've sinned against God. Joseph said that, far be it from me to to sin against God in doing this thing. And they said, who can do this but God alone? Yes, that's right. Those of you that think Jesus never claimed to be God, here's a great story. They know no one can forgive sins but God alone. And immediately Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned this within themselves. He was reading their heart, just, just like he was potentially reading the paralytic guy's heart. He's reading their heart, and he says to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you, or to say, arise, take up your bed, and walk? Which is easier to say? You're like when, when, when you come down, we say, hey, you know, if anybody wants to receive Jesus as Lord and Savior, have your sins forgiven, just come down front, and we'll pray with you. And so here you come, oh, I need my sins forgiven. I know what I, I've been this, I've been that. I've done these things. I'm shamed, I'm guilty. Oh, you come, and we pray for you. We say, oh, Jesus forgives your sins. It's forgiven. You say, well, how do I know? I mean, I I don't change colors. There's no outward evidence of it. We just have to trust it. By faith. We believe that that's what God's word said. And when we ask, that's what happens. And that's what happened here. The guy, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. Well, how do you know? Now, remember, they have a link between sickness and sinfulness. So, on one hand, it's easy to say your sins are forgiven. And Jesus says to them, so that I can prove to you that what I say is true, that the sins are forgiven. I'm going to do something for you that, that validates the authority of my word. So he says, Arise, take up your bed and walk. See, it, it's harder to say, Arise, take up your bed and walk, because if, if he says to the guy, Okay, arise, take up your bed and walk, and the guy's like, uh, 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 I can't, sorry. You know, I'm trying, but I just can't. Then he's a phony, he's a fake. You know, his word is powerless. But there's proof, there's a validation there. So if he says to the guy, which he does, he says, but that you may know the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, underline that in your Bible. Because some of you have questioned it. I know what I've done, I know where I've been, I know the thing I did that I still feel guilty about. I I don't know if God can forgive that. I don't know if that can I don't know. How do I know? So that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. Power is not power dunamis, energy power is authority. God has given Jesus authority on earth to tell you that your sins are forgiven, that God forgives your sins when you come to him. And he's passed that authority on to the church to proclaim the word of God. Hey, listen, if anybody comes to Jesus, he won't turn you away. You come uh, as an enemy of God. You come to reconnect. Jesus Christ has done everything To reconnect you with God He's taken away your sins He's removed them as far as the east is from the west There's no longer anything on God's side Keeping you from a relationship with him That's clappable, I think One clap And so he says to the guy I say to you, arise Take up your bed And go to your house And they're all watching What happens next Immediately, he arose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all. He couldn't come in in their presence, but you better believe they made a hole and made it wide for him to go out. Dude, look at that. They dropped him in through the roof. You know, some people are scared that when they come to church, the roof is going to cave in. That's the only way they could get to church, is through the roof caving in. And he walked out of there, different, a new man. Nothing ever the same after this. And they, they just watched him walk. And they said, they, they were all amazed, and I love this, and they glorified who? The man? They, they knew that guy had nothing to do with it. He didn't even say anything. He didn't even speak. They knew it was all from God. And, they, and that, that's we've got to do good works, and we do them, and the way you do them will, will can make a difference between whether or not god is glorified or you are glorified now sometimes we do things to bring glory to us and we just we you know we point to god but there's another way to do things so that people see your good works and people should see your good works but not so you can be glorified and be careful because sometimes we want it well nobody notices me doing this thing nobody's thanked me nobody's said anything be careful you may be doing it to glorify yourself and not to glorify god The person who does it to glorify God God, never seeks to be uh, rewarded in any way. Our rewards are eternal. I believe that by everything I do, God's got a list. He knows what I'm doing. If nobody else knows what I've done, and there's missionaries that die in obscurity all over the world, much greater sacrifice than me. If no one else knows what I've done, God knows. And that's good enough for me. It should be. They glorified God saying we never saw anything Like this. The kingdom of God has come into their presence. The Messiah is there. So, what do you make of this, folks? Number one, it's great to have godly friends, isn't it? It's great. You need godly friendships. Number two, don't give up. Now, I'm not talking about giving up on your plan. You know, you might have your plan and it's not God's plan. You might have to abandon that nonsense and get on board with God. Don't ever give up in coming to Jesus with your petition. Don't ever give up in prayer. Pray. I've prayed, but I've prayed for 10 years. Pray for 11. But I, I, read, the God, I read God's Word for 10 minutes. I didn't get anything. Read for 15. Read until you get something. Don't give up. Be, be diligent. It's, in, it's been, because in America we're, we want it quick, we want it easy. We bring that to spiritual life and it just God rewards diligence in spiritual pursuits. He's right there. But you got to seek him with all your heart and you will you will find him. You will receive comfort. You will receive answers to prayer, but you can't give up. And and I don't know we can't expect the paralyzed, the unsaved, the sinful to just show up here. You got to go get them. So folks, go get people that are paralyzed by their addiction. That are paralyzed by their past, that are paralyzed by fear, that are paralyzed by sin, paralyzed by whatever. And they're moving, but they ain't getting anywhere, right? And they got a lot of good intentions. But you know, I know. Go get them, folks. Bring them to Jesus. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word uh, that God would come down, that you would come down in human flesh and have such a concern for the state of people, hurting people that will come to you to give them hope and to forgive their sins. Lord, we recognize that there is no one who has done perfectly. Not one. There is none righteous. And we have come to you, Lord, acknowledging that we are right in that group. We're the lepers, we're the paralyzed, we're the lame, we're the maimed, Lord. Maybe not physically, but spiritually. Father, I pray that by faith, we would have diligence and exercise diligence because of our faith. That the root of the things that we do, that we stick to seeking you, would be rooted in our belief that you are who you are and you reward those who diligently seek you. We pray all this in Jesus' name. All God's soon-to-be diligent people said, Amen. 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 Let's stand. And if anybody uh, is touched in one way or another by... The-